Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to chat about some actual news, some actual things that have happened in the NBA today. Uh, I got clued into this uh, right before it happened, actually, that it was going to happen, but folks, Damian Lillard finally got moved. He finally got traded, and... What a time to be alive because it feels like this has been going on forever. And it has. Like, we, we thought that this could start being a thing as soon as, like, well, after the Nuggets won the title. And this was something that had persisted for a long time. So I am glad that we have finally seen the light, that it is over. Uh, but it's interesting to be able to talk about this from a different perspective than the Miami Heat. Than from uh, the Phoenix Suns or Toronto Raptors or Chicago Bulls or Philadelphia 76ers. This is way more interesting, in my opinion, and I think way better for the NBA that Dame, after being in the ether with all of this conversation, that he actually gets to go to a place where it's going to really matter. And he's going to be a Milwaukee Buck. He's going to be playing with Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's really cool. To me, that's that's just a, a very interesting perspective here. And I am really, really excited to be able to see what the Bucks can do this year because I think they got better. I think that this is a great deal for them. I don't think it's a bad deal for anybody involved. I actually really like all the different elements and we're going to talk about why. But I do think that this is a great deal for the Bucks specifically. But here is the main point. Why the Milwaukee Bucks? Why did Damian Lillard get traded to the Bucks out of everybody? The biggest point that should be reinforced is that Miami was offering up horrible assets. Like, just horrible assets. And Hurricane says it here. Did the Heat take a bigger L to Denver or Milwaukee? Uh, It's a great question because they talked a lot more about the Damian Lillard trade than they did about losing in the finals. Because maybe they thought that that was a foregone conclusion or something. but. Pretty clear that Denver was the better team at that point, and the Heat got worse this offseason. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that the Heat got worse. Uh, five 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 ish says if the Heat can get can manage to get Drew, they can still salvage this disaster. And you're right, you're right. That is definitely at least something that can be taken into account on this. But I do think that at the current moment, the Heat are losers in this entire thing for many different reasons. But the biggest being is that their beat writers and everybody that they fed information to was trying to strong arm the Portland Trailblazers into making a deal that they should not make. And I am glad that Portland held firm. Like, I don't have any, like, I don't have any feelings for Portland in this situation. Like, they, they screwed up their situation. They should have traded Dame way sooner than they did, and rather than let this drag out, rather, rather than let poor, uh, Miami take over all of the leverage that they tried to do. But I'm glad that they waited. They waited and waited and waited. And it wasn't until until Giannis did that podcast uh, for the 48 Minutes Network where he goes on and says, uh, kind of puts some pressure onto the Milwaukee Bucks franchise and said, if they don't show a commitment to winning, then I might go somewhere else. 
And they go get him Damian Lillard, of all people. One of the top players in the NBA. I have him ranked, uh, I think, 14 in my most recent top 100. But he could have easily been ranked 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 or one of those places. So he is one of those guys, in my opinion, in that all-NBA tier where he could really change a championship, change the championship odds for a team like the Bucks, And I think that they definitely get better. Uh, they get a guy who is under contract. They get a guy who is, I think, in a better position physically than what Drew Holiday would be, where even though he is about the same age, um, to me, this feels like a great moment for the Bucks, where they can add one of the best offensive players in the league to one of the best defensive tandems in the league in Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brook Lopez. And there's a lot to like from their side about the deal. Uh, but who won the trade? Who won the trade? I'm not surprised that Milwaukee ultimately did this. I think that they absolutely should have done this. Uh, but let's add some graphics to the conversation here. Milwaukee Bucks, they get Damian Lillard, the Portland Trailblazers. They get Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton from the Suns, Tumani Kamara, one of their uh, rookies in the second round that, that the Suns drafted this year, as well as a first-round pick from Milwaukee, and a future first-round swap. Now, I've heard different things about like what that actual swap is going to be. Somebody said that it was in 2029 as well, but it doesn't make sense that they're going to give a 2029 swap in addition to their 2029 first-round pick. I, I got to imagine that it's 2030 or 2028, but who knows? The Blazers made out pretty well in this deal, and the Suns, they got in on this, and gotten on the three-team trade, and they were able to turn DeAndre Ayton and his 30-plus million a year salary into four different players, along with uh, their rookie from the second round, Tumani Kamara. Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson. Uh, that's an interesting quartet, and I'll get to them in just a minute. But just looking at it from the Bucks' perspective first, the Bucks get Damian Lillard, they give up Drew Holiday, and two pick or like Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, a 2029 first and a pick swap. On the surface, pretty good deal. Pretty good deal for a guy who is under contract and I think says he wants to be in, in Milwaukee now and is going to want to be in Milwaukee as long as Giannis is there. Like I think that what Dame wants to do more than anything is win. And I don't understand why he tried to push for Miami so hard. But um, it is very interesting to be able to talk about it from that perspective. I think that Dame and Giannis is maybe the best duo in the NBA. And coming from a Nuggets writer, coming from somebody who has a perspective here, like that's high praise. Like, they have the capability there to be the best duo. Now, you got to prove it on the floor. You got to prove it next to each other over 82 games and then into the playoffs. You can't just fold in the playoffs. But on the on paper, like you've got two top five scorers in the league. Dame put up the numbers that he did with a spaced out floor for the Blazers, where they kind of surrounded him with everything, made life easiest to, as possible for Dame. Now that's not going to be quite the case, but going to a team in Milwaukee where you're going to be surrounded with Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez. They still have Grayson Allen. 
if I look at the rest of their rotation, it's not super strong. Uh, but they do have Marjan Bochamp as a young rookie that kind of like their version of Peyton Watson, if you're a Nuggets fan, uh, which most of you are. They have plenty of opportunities, I think, to add to their rotation with veterans. Uh, I think they have Malik Beasley as well. Like, there's some guys. There's some guys that they have. Uh, Bobby Portis is still there. They have a good rotation. They have a really, really strong rotation. And I love the idea of them staggering Dame and Giannis. And then that means you can continue to play Chris Middleton and Giannis together. And like that duo has always been great. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they end up doing. You could also just run one five pick and pops with Dame and Brooke Lopez. Like how insane is that be? And then spacing a five out like that. There's a lot that they can do. Their offense is going to be way better than where it was last year. And they didn't give up too much in order to get that done. Now, their perimeter defense is going to be very interesting. Uh, And I want to make mention of this here. Uh, Joshua Vasquez says, Lillard doesn't play defense. Then Milwaukee trades away Allen and Drew. Lillard didn't play defense for the Blazers. The Blazers had zero prospects of actually winning in the playoffs, winning a championship. And I think that a reduced role physically for Lillard will help him in this situation where he doesn't necessarily have to do everything for his team in a way that he did for the Blazers. Like if you told me that Giannis averaged 28 points per game, Dame averaged 25, Chris Middleton averaged 18 and Brooke Lopez averaged 16. That is good enough. That is enough production from those guys. And I just in general, think that they are going to be just fine. Um, Hurricane says, yes, the Blazers played in a Western Conference Finals twice. It's been a while. Uh, What I meant was that just the prospects of it in the most recent years, which I think is where his defensive reputation has really uh, showed up. Now, do they have guys to defend players like Jamal Murray? No. Do they have guys to defend Steph Curry or Trey Young? or some of the top perimeter guards in the NBA? No. But they could come up with a guy like that. They haven't given up everything. Uh, There's potential for Marshawn Beauchamp to develop into that. There's potential for other guys to develop into that. But from Milwaukee's perspective, I think this is a home run. I think this is an A+. And if your goal is to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee for the long haul, there is absolutely zero reason to do anything other than make this trade because you turn Drew Holiday's expiring contract and a first-round pick and a pick swap into Damian Lillard, who's a top 15 player in the NBA, just a better player than Drew Holiday. And I think that Grayson Allen is superfluous with what they have. They have Malik Beasley. They have Pat Connaughton. They have, like, they have options. They're not going to miss him. So this is a good deal for them. Moving to Portland and their side of things, they get Drew Holiday and DeAndre Ayton as the main package for Damian Lillard. Yusuf Nurkic is a salary dump. He is not a good basketball player anymore, at least from uh, the perspective that Portland had. Um, They did get rid of Nasir Little, who's hurt a lot, but is still a very talented young player. Keon Johnson is a cap filler. He's rotation filler and and trade fodder for for this particular piece of this. 
uh, but they get the young rookie Tumani Kamara. They get a valuable 2029 Milwaukee first round pick, which is a great bet just in case Giannis does end up leaving because at that point, Dame Lillard will be 39. He'll be about 39, I think. So if Dame is still on that team, uh, Giannis may not be on that team. It's, it's at least a good bet against what the vision of, of Milwaukee is. And I think it is unprotected. So that is a great pick. That is the single best pick that Portland could have received from this particular trade. Do you normally want to bet against a team that has Giannis and Dame? No, but you're betting against them six years down the road. So I don't blame them for that. I think that's a great idea. Now, is DeAndre Ayton the right guy to get back as like the centerpiece here? The, a guy that you're going to keep around? Maybe. He is a legit starting center that you can pair with Scoot Henderson, Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, and Jeremy Grant for at least this next year and, and maybe the year after that. And then you see what you have. Then you see what you can do. But DeAndre Ayton will be a good pick-and-roll partner for those guys. He'll be a player that they can play in the middle. And he also has still some potential to grow, to blossom a little bit away from Phoenix, where he had been vilified and had been kind of made into the bad guy for for so much of their problems. Uh, I think that he is not the bad guy for all of their problems personally. Um, Now you get Drew Holiday, and I think the goal for Portland is to flip him for something else. And if they did end up flipping him, and turning him into an extra first-round pick or two, uh, kind of depending on what you get. Let's say he goes to, I don't know, let's say he goes to Miami, for example. Let's say he goes to Miami and you get back Kyle Lowry and two first-round picks. So you have now at this point turned Damian Lillard into DeAndre Ayton, Kyle Lowry, and three first-round picks, as opposed to the two that you were previously rumored to be getting. And I think this just makes more sense for a team like Portland. Like as long as they can turn Drew Holiday into the right return, I think they're going to do just fine here. They got a very valuable pick. They got a valuable starting center. And I think they are set up pretty well for the ongoing post-Dame era for them. Scoot Henderson needs some help. He's going to need time. Uh, Shaden Sharp will need some time. And they need somebody who can do some of the dirty work, but also can take some of the offensive pressure off when it needs to be when it needs to happen. And I think that DeAndre Ayton can do that. And we'll just see what this turns into after they flip Drew Holiday. Finally, Phoenix. Another interesting wrinkle to this. Phoenix gets Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson in this deal. They give up DeAndre Ayton and uh, Tumani Kamara. They don't give up any picks. This is basically like breaking up DeAndre Ayton's big salary into four smaller salaries. Now, Nurkic is not a small salary. I think he's making like $19 million a year, $20 million a year, something like that. Grayson Allen's making like 10. Nasir Little's making five. Keon Johnson's making like probably a minimum. But those salaries, I think, are going to be interesting for them going forward. They might decide to flip Grayson Allen at the deadline for something else. I don't think they have any first-round picks to really offer, but they're going to try to continue to make their roster better around the three stars that they have in Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. I think this makes them... I think it makes them more volatile 
I think that there is a world where this can work and that Yusuf Nurkic is actually the right guy for them in the middle. I think he might help them become a better offense because he's a better, smarter passer than DeAndre Ayton is. And he doesn't need the ball in kind of some of those inefficient zones and like the mid-range and the floater zone. Now, Nurkic is going to miss a lot of layups for them, and they're going to get very frustrated about that. But he is going to move the ball really well. He's going to be a guy who doesn't need to take on a 20-point-per-game load. Like, he's just never been that guy. And if you pencil him in for, like, 13 points per game, seven rebounds per or let's go eight rebounds per game, and a block and a half, then that might be good enough. And they'll go with Drew Eubanks as his, part, as his primary backup. They will try to mix and match their lineups and getting Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson as candidates to play that other spot on the starting five uh, next to Beal, Booker, Durant, and Nurkic. I think that makes sense. I think that's a, a good theory of the practice move for them. The problem is the downside of it where none of those guys are actually good enough and Yusuf Nurkic isn't good enough as a defender. I do not think that he's a better defender than DeAndre Ayton. I've watched those two guys, I clearly watch those two guys a lot. And I think that DeAndre Ayton can do a lot of things, especially when motivated, that Nurkic just can't physically anymore. Uh, And that is going to be a big challenge for the Suns, where they need a guy back there who can make up for a lot of mistakes. Because let's face it, the Suns perimeter defense is not going to be the most stout they've ever had. Uh, Josh Okogie is still there. He could kind of rotate in. They've got Yuta Watanabe. Uh, They signed Eric Gordon to a minimum deal or something close to it. And that should be at least an option for them. Uh, They've got a couple of other guys in the pipeline that they could mix in. Kade Bates-Diop being one of them. But there is nothing definitive about their group now. And I think they took their fourth best player, their definitively fourth best player, and turned him into... Nurkic, who I don't think is a top 100 guy, and Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson. So that is tough. So I gave them a C. I don't think it's a bad trade, but I don't think that they got better quite yet, or at least the downside of it is enough that I'm at least a little bit concerned. I think that that's going to be a problem. Uh, Joshua says, again, who are who on the Suns is defending Murray, Gordon, and Jokic? Well, KD did a pretty good job defending Gordon, at least with the physical toll that he had to take on the other end of the floor where he's carrying a lot of the load. So I think that KD will be okay in that matchup. But yeah, Nurkic is not guarding Jokic. We know that. We've seen that matchup enough to know that Jokic has now figured that out in a playoff series. It's just not a question. And for Murray specifically, they'll throw a lot of guys at him. The Suns will, but they may have to make a Beal. They may have to make a Booker at times. And that hurts the Suns offense. So I do agree. I do agree that that's a problem. Uh, Hurricane follows up to that with who's defending Pope or Mike. Uh, That is a great question. You're going to have to have a lot of guys who can play defense to guard Denver's starting lineup. And the real truth of the matter is that Denver is going to be a really tough team to guard. But I do think that the Suns got better in matching up against every other team in the NBA or in the Western Conference for the most part. By having other options, small ball options, players that they can mix and match, what they really need is seven or eight guys that they can count on. I think they are more likely getting an extra one from this deal, 
but it's also likely that they get a downgrade for facing the Nuggets when they are having to play Yusuf Nurkic as the five. So we will see what ultimately happens here. Um, Like I said, this deal affects the Nuggets uh, just from that perspective of, hey, you might be having to watch out for the Bucks in the playoffs. You might have to really start to gear up against them. You might have to take those matchups even more seriously, knowing that they could be the team that matches up against you in the NBA Finals. I think that that is a pretty fair assessment. I think that the Bucks are going to be really, really good, and they'll have to they'll have to figure out a way to at least match up with the Bucks defensively. Because I got to tell you guys, it's like pairing Stephen Curry with Giannis Antetokounmpo in some ways. Dame is going to run that pick and roll, and he is going to shoot from 30 feet. And Denver has shown a propensity to really struggle against Dame when he's shooting from 30 feet and hitting. And then, if you overcommit to that, while Giannis is screening for him and get then gets to a short roll, I've got Giannis as a freight train going down the middle of the floor. So, that is going to be tough. It's going to be very, very tough. I don't think that Denver can get in on the Drew Holiday sweepstakes. I don't think that they want to. The only way that they could do that financially is if they traded Michael Porter Jr. or Aaron Gordon. I don't think that that's going to happen personally. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And getting smaller just doesn't make sense at all. Um, They can't make it up with uh, KCP, Reggie Jackson, and Scraps. They would need to do uh, one of MPJ or AG if they wanted to make that trade. And they're not trading Jokic and Murray. So there's no reason to really consider that. Uh, But other teams could get Drew, whether it's the Sixers or the Suns, not not the Suns, excuse me, or the Mavericks, or the Clippers, or the Kings. I think the Kings would be an interesting one, where you pair him with De'Aaron Fox. Fox is their main offensive creator. Drew Holiday's their main on-ball defender. That would make sense to me. Uh, and then they would be more dangerous. But I don't know who's ultimately going to get Drew Holiday. I think that he could change up the trajectory for a team. I don't think any team that gets Drew Holiday is automatically going to be bumped up to Denver's tier, but I think that De- that Milwaukee getting Damian Lillard, I think it bumps them up to Denver's tier. I think the Phoenix, it's they're probably not in Denver's tier. They're close, uh, but I think that they're not. I think that Milwaukee, Boston, and Denver are now at the top of the league. And with the Suns, just got to wait and see. With the Lakers, you got to wait and see. Miami now. They might be bumped down a tier now that they don't have Dame. That's going to be very fascinating. But are the Bucks the new title favorites? I don't know. We're going to have to watch that. Uh, them matching up with the Boston Celtics in the playoffs will be very, very interesting. How those teams match up against each other is, that's a that's a wild question mark. But who knows? Like, imagining those teams going back and forth in an Eastern Conference Finals is really, really fun. Um And I think that this is just good for the league. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I think this is really good for the league where you can now see a player like Damian Lillard have that shot. You got to prove it, dude. You got to prove it that you deserve to be having all this talked about you. And for Giannis and Dame, they are probably either the top duo in the league or the second best duo in the league behind Jokic and Murray. And those two duos are awesome. And... Can you even imagine what would happen if the Bucks and Nuggets faced off in the finals? <laughs> like that would be amazing and it would be from two like non-glamour cities and people would be 
losing their minds over that series. It would be unbelievably fun. And I am so looking forward to the possibility of it. So we will see. We will see what happens. But I'm looking forward to it. I think this is going to be a very interesting time. And if you are a Nuggets fan, uh, be happy that Dame didn't go to a Western Conference team because that could have changed the playoff picture in a very interesting way. So glad that didn't happen. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to chat about uh, Nuggets nostalgia and actually talk about the Phoenix Sun series. I didn't plan this, but this just happened to happen on the day. But it's a good conversation to have regardless. Uh, But first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook. I know that y'all love Superbook just as much as I do. And they give you a great opportunity to bet with the big boy, or like rather than betting with the big boys for the football season, you can try your hand with the local book. They do a great job. They have been friends to Mile High Sports for a while now. And they're just your book next door. They're a dedicated team of the best odds makers in the business, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, if you sign up uh, on this and wager on the same day, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you use the promo code MILEHIGH. Bet with the best. Use that promo code this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. And we're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. Again, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe. I say that every time, but the subscribers really do help. On YouTube, we are almost to 3K subscribers on the Mile High Sports YouTube channel. Would really help us out if you subscribed if you're not already. So thank you so much if you do. All right. The main premise of this podcast prior to the Damian Lillard trade was for this week, I had been going back through and remembering an epic Denver Nuggets championship run from this last year. And I still want to do that. I still want to make sure that we get to do that and, and have fun with it. And as it, as it stands, I'll probably cut this one a little bit shorter than I did yesterday's episode. But we're still going to talk about the best moments of the Denver Nuggets playoff run. And we are going through against the Phoenix Suns now. We are going to talk about the Phoenix Suns. And I am looking forward to everybody uh, being able to relive that with me because this was a fun fun series. And there were some details here that I forgot that I wanted to make sure and go back and and look through and just make sure that everybody's also uh, doing their thing and and like remembering what a great fun series this was. So got my notes here of all these games. We're going to go through them now. Uh, Heading into game one, nobody knew what to expect from Denver. I think everybody hoped, especially Nuggets fans hoped, that they would show up and and really play hard and uh, try to make things more difficult on the Suns. But I don't think anybody really thought that they could stop the Suns' offense. Everybody thought that the Nuggets would be blitzkrieged to death by CP3 and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and everybody on the Suns. It would be a mid-range festival. And there there was a lot of questions as to whether the Nuggets could hang in the series. The Nuggets were not the favorites. The Suns were the favorites in the series. And 
It was very interesting to go back and, and look at that. In game one, though, it was a shootout in the first quarter, going back and forth, even into the first half. And it just turned into this epic Nuggets run where Denver made everything. They played extremely well. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker played really well, too. I don't want to take anything away from them, but this was a game where it was about Denver turning on the Jets. They hit them with a 37-19 run in the second quarter, and this felt like Denver was ready for this. The crowd was as pumped and as amped as I've ever been, have, I've ever seen in an environment like that. Game one against the Suns was an epic show, and Murray, in his way, really uh, really put himself on the map in this game. Like he had done a lot up until that point, but it was in this game where you see Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and you know about Nikola Jokic, but the real question is, can Jamal Murray step up and be that second guy for Jokic in this series? And he immediately proved it. He immediately did it. 30 point, or 34 points, 9 assists. Closed out the game with the, if you remember, we ready for this? Like, that was a that was a thing in this game. And he, he went on a big run, extended the lead, shouted to the crowd after the timeout. This was an awesome Jamal Murray moment and experience. He took it personally that Landry Shamit was guarding him. It was awesome. Uh, Joker had a normal good game for him, but... Aaron Gordon may have had his best game of the playoffs during this run. 23 points on 9 of 13, three threes. KD had seven turnovers. Now, KD played well, but Gordon forced him into some things and and made life challenging for him. And that was an important piece of this. All Denver had to do was make it a little bit more difficult for a team like Phoenix. And Phoenix, they had never had it this difficult before. So I'm looking forward to... Uh, and I knew that I was looking forward to what the Suns were going to do and how they were going to respond in the next game. But Denver had, like, they proved everything. If you remember, this was also the game where Michael Malone famously said, tough twos don't beat us over 48 minutes. That was this game. And it was very interesting to see the reaction of that in real time. There were a lot of people that thought Malone had screwed up. Malone was just getting very confident at this point, and he was saving his best for for later in the playoffs for sure. But this was a very interesting moment. Tough twos don't beat us over 48 minutes. Game two was about seeing how the Suns would respond to Malone, how the Suns would respond to Denver's defense and what they were giving up. In the end, it was ugly. It was grimy. And the Suns shot 6 of 31 from 3. 6 of 31, it was like 19%. Devin Booker shot 4 of 8. Devin Booker was great. The rest of the Suns, 2 of 23. And KD was 2 of 12 himself. Uh, This was awesome. Denver grinded it out. They won 97 to 87. But Murray also couldn't really shoot the basketball in this game. As great as he was in game 1, he was horrible in game 2. 3 of 15 from the field, 0 of 9 from 3. 8 assists, but definitely didn't play that well. And Joker... Joker wasn't affected at all. He had 39, 16, 5, 2, and 1 in this game on 17 of 30 from the field and 2 of 6 from 3. He was fantastic, as you would expect from a guy like that. KCP, though, he was the key. 
Uh, He had, I think, 14 points, maybe 16 points, but I think it was 14. Four of four from three, five of six from the field, two clutch threes in the fourth quarter when the game was just grindy, and it, it felt like the score was stuck at that point, and nobody could really get any separation. KCP hits a clutch three in the corner, Suns forced to call timeout, and it was awesome. That was exactly what you needed if you are Denver. You needed somebody else to step up with Murray not shooting well. Porter didn't shoot well either. Uh, that's that's not something that's as talked about, but AG was fine. Uh, Denver couldn't really get much production from their bench. KCP was the key. This was also CP3's final game as a member of the Phoenix Suns. If you remember, he sustained a hamstring injury, I'm pretty sure, and was held out for the rest of the series. Couldn't really get back at that point, and it was uh, kind of to Phoenix's benefit at various points that he wasn't out there because they were able to play faster. They were more up and down. They played Booker at the point a lot more, and that was a good thing for the Suns. Uh, But it was CP3's final game as the Sun, and now he is a Golden State Warrior. So should be interesting to see how that matchup turns out. Game three, we pivot over to Phoenix. And this was the moment where Booker shoots flames out of his eyes. (laughs) He had... 47 points on 20 of 25 from the field. Let me repeat that. 47 points on 20 of 25 from the field. 5 of 8 from 3 and 9 assists to boot. This was an epic Devin Booker game. And he deserved all of the credit for this one. He was unbelievable. KD added 39 points of his own. It did come on 31 shots and 16 free throw attempts. So not his most efficient performance despite being... Uh, 39 points, but I do think, um, I do think that this one, like you could see the difference in the way that the Suns were going to handle this versus the way that the Nuggets were going to handle this. Booker and KD had 56 free throw or field goal attempts. The rest of Phoenix at 39. Denver uh, really concentrated on the Jokic Murray two man game in these two games. They probably concentrated on it a little bit too much, but some of it was because the bench in this particular game really, they really uh, were burdened. Like they did not fare that well. Uh, Murray had 32 points, but on 29 shots, uh, too many shots for him at that point. Jokic, 30, 17, and 17 on 11 of 19. What an epic game that's kind of forgotten to history. How many times has anybody had 30, 15, and 15 in a game? in the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. So really interested to see that, but Denver drops this game. They do not play well. Murray uh, needs to play better in this one. Jokic showed up. Murray needs to play better. Everybody needs to to play a little bit better. Game four, this was the Landry Shamit game. This was the game where Landry Shamit had 19 points, made all the threes that he needed to make, especially in that fourth quarter. Denver trying to catch up. They're doubling Devin Booker as hard as they can. They're doubling Kevin Durant when they can. And they just couldn't really do anything about the Suns' offense when Landry Shamit's making threes. And he made a bunch of them. Now, Denver did not get as much much of a great defensive effort in this one. They lost 129 to 124. But there was some of it where the Suns were just a little bit unstoppable. Booker and KD combined for 72 points on 37 shots. They were super efficient, played extremely good basketball. But lost in the ether of this one, DeAndre Ayton got benched for Jock Landale. (laughs) 
He, uh, he was benched in this one. He was not happy at the end of this game. Now, they were just going with what was working. Uh, but when you get benched for Jack Landale, if you are DeAndre Ayton, who's making $100 million and on his contract, like it's not a surprise that you'd be a little bit frustrated. But there were plenty of signs, I think, that DeAndre Ayton was on his way out. This was a game where you have to pay attention to it, but it was clear that he was on his way out. Joker, 53 points. Casual 53 on 20 of 30 from the field. He pushed Matt Ishbia in his game after Matt Ishbia decided to make himself uh, involved in the proceedings on the sideline. This was a fun storyline, or not a fun storyline, but uh, Jokic also had 11 assists on top of 53 points, but only had four rebounds. Uh, This was a game where he did not do well defensively, kind of like what I talked about with the T-Wolves, like, this was around the time where the T-Wolves started to figure out how to attack Jokic a little bit more. And Jokic also kind of had this happen against the Suns in this particular one. Now, it's not really his fault, but Denver does have to compromise their coverages a little bit because he's a big center. It's hard to defend with a traditional center in the playoffs. And like Denver did a fantastic job of it throughout most of the series that they played. But against the Suns, this was the moment where hey, you give up 129 in a game. And you're probably not feeling that great. And Denver shouldn't have been feeling that great. But one of the reasons why they gave up 129 was because the Suns sold out on offense. They sold out. Uh, they made. They gave up on defense. They did not care about the defensive end of the floor. They just needed to outscore Denver. And that was a pivot point. Because in Game 5, Michael Porter Jr. gave Denver an early lift. And they just could not uh, make it happen. Like they They could not... Uh, the Suns could not stop Denver at all. Uh, this was a clear game where Denver was just the better team. Um, Booker got a little bit hurt in this one. Uh, 19 points in the first half, only nine in the second half on 11 shots. Some say he got hurt. Some say he he hurt something on the baseline under Denver's basket. Uh, I'm not as worried about that one. What I'm worried about is what actually happened. Michael Porter Jr., 14 first quarter points, only had 19 for the game, but he was the guy that got Denver going, put them into a great position to succeed, and then other guys took over as the game went on. Joker, 29 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists. Bruce Brown, 25 points off the bench. This was a great Bruce Brown game. I'm not sure how many Nuggets guys off the bench this year are going to be able to put up 25. Like, I'm just not. It might happen. Maybe Christian Brown gets hot. Maybe he grows a little bit within his role, but I'm not really expecting that kind of leap from him. I do think that Bruce Brown is going to be missed in some of these moments. Like he was a great defensive player in this series, uh, very versatile and had some great moments against Kevin Durant, had some great moments against Devin Booker. And this is a, this is a thing that they are going to miss for sure. But Denver was in control in this series uh, because of this game. They took control. And game six was all about, can you close it out? And boy, did Denver close it out. They were very, very good in the closeout game. This was a party on the court. Uh, Denver won this game 125 to 100. A little bit of context. DeAndre Ayton is out for this game. He did not play. He played in game five. Something happened between game four and game six, whether it was the, the actual injury or... There was a conversation or DeAndre Ayton got mad about something, probably a little bit of everything. We're not, we're never going to know 
what actually transpired. But Aiton did not play, and a lot of Suns people thought that he could have played through whatever it was he was dealing with. I don't even remember what the injury was offhand. Was it a shoulder? Was it a sickness? Was it uh, like a soreness? I'm not, I'm not really sure. But or maybe it was a rib. Actually, I think it might have been a bruised rib. And people were like, ah, should have played through it. So they start Jock Landale in his place. And poor Jock Landale. Joker goes for 32, 10, and 12 in a casual number of possessions against Jock Landale. But this game was actually competitive midway through the first quarter. <laughs> the Suns were actually leading at one point 24 to 21 midway through the first quarter. About five minutes left. And then Denver goes on a 26-2 run. 26, or maybe it was a 23-2, it was one of those. But it was just this unbelievable run that they go on to end the first quarter and basically put the Suns in a hole. They drowned them on their home court. And coming out of the second quarter, into the second quarter, it just wasn't better. Like Denver wins that first quarter 44-26. They win the second quarter 37-25. The Nuggets were leading by 30 at halftime. They had put up 81 points on the Suns and were on pace for about, I don't know, 162. Now, they didn't maintain that pace. They didn't need to. They actually only scored 43 points in the second half, or 44 points in the second half. But Murray had Booker in a torture chamber. KCP dropped 17 first quarter points, 21 first half points. Campaign dropped 31. That was impressive. Booker dropped 13. <laughs> that was not as impressive. And this was the Suns embarrassed. Like, they were just an embarrassing exit for the second straight year, immediately after this, that the Mavericks had done this last year. The Nuggets did it to them the year right after. And it's amazing. It's amazing sometimes how these stories are written, how life can go in the NBA. Because the Suns have been a really good team for a long time. They went to the NBA Finals in 2021, and people thought that they would win the Finals in 2022. Whether it was COVID that got them, or just a better team in the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, chemistry issues clearly had, had some sort of impact. Injury issues had some sort of impact. They traded for Kevin Durant, and it just didn't matter because they ran into a Denver team that was way better and had way more chemistry. Maybe not way better. Way better is not the wrong, not the right word. The Suns had a great duo in Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Devin Booker, to me, proved himself to be a top 10 player in this series. He was awesome. But I do think that just in general, Denver, they needed, they didn't need as much to go right as the Suns needed to go right in order to be competitive in this series. And Denver did everything that they needed to do. And then some, their details were great. The Suns' details were not good enough. And they paid the price for it in this one, especially in, get, in that game six. But it was awesome. I really, really enjoyed this series. And being able to go back and, and kind of check over everything was fun. This was also just a, a fun project that we get to do here at Pickaxe and Roll. Uh, but now we get to talk about the Lakers uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. A four-game series, a sweep. And we're going to go over some of the best moments from that. We get to relive that together. Uh, so if you are returning for next episode of Pickaxe and Roll, you get to be blessed with what I think is going to be a very, very fun topic. Uh, always love to be able to talk about that series any opportunity I get to, uh, because that was the moment where it became real for Denver Nuggets fans. 
That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Got to talk about the Damian Lillard trade. Got to go over the Phoenix Suns series from last year. Uh, We'll go over the Lakers series tomorrow. Thank you so much, everybody. Talk to you guys very soon.